It's all right to bless the Lord this morning. In fact, let's just bless him again. Lord, we bless you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, uh, worship team and and our choir. We're just so blessed to worship together. Well, I'm glad to be here. It's a good thing when the preacher is glad to be there. And it's a good thing when the listener is glad to be there. Last weekend, we had over 60 people saved. It reminds me of why we exist. To lead all people from all backgrounds to real transformation in Christ. And we know that that transformation happens um, as we do three things. According to the word of God, and this is the way we put it in our today's language, we're transformed as we connect with God in our services, grow in community through our small groups and serve on ministry teams. Transformation is not an event. It begins with an event called being born again, but transformation is really a process. Over time, we grow up. And I want to just paint a little picture for you to help us understand how transformation is a process. You see, going to church is a lot like being a kid at Christmas time. You just can't wait for Christmas. How many of you remember those days, right? Some of you do. A few of you are like, it's springtime. Why are we thinking about Christmas? When I was a kid, Christmas started the day after Thanksgiving a tradition we still hold in our home today. And after Thanksgiving, we'd set up the Christmas tree. And we'd put all the lights on it. And it was great because we started baking, making, and eating Christmas cookies in November. And it was, it was this huge ramp up, this huge excitement that would build till Christmas time. And, and you remember, as a kid, what we would do is we would shake every package that had our name on it. Try to guess what's in the package. And, and it was just so much fun, so much anticipation. And then finally Christmas morning comes and, and, and we'd always race to see who the first person could be to get up. And, and we would dump out our stocking and, and enjoy everything in the stocking. And then pretty soon the family gathers around. We read the Christmas story. We start passing out gifts. And it seems like it just goes like that. You know, and in just a matter of minutes, it feels like all the gifts are opened. And just when you think Christmas is over and the gifts are over, dad pulls out this big gift from from behind the couch. And wouldn't you know it, it has your name on it. That happened to me once or twice as a kid growing up. We loved Christmas and I looked so forward to it. Going to church, coming to church when you first get saved is a lot like Christmas. There's this great excitement, there's great anticipation about what you're going to receive. But here's what happens. As you grow up, you become a teenager and Christmas is a little bit different, isn't it? You kind of know what to expect. Um, There's kind of this, um, uh, what should we call it? Uh, You just kind of know what's going to happen. You know where the gifts are hidden Right. You might even sneak in and shit and, and all of this. You know what gifts uh, where the gifts are hidden. You probably even know what the gifts are. OK, you're, you're 16, 17, eight years, 18 years old. And, and part of you wants to go back to that five year old kid. Part of you wants to go back to that day. 
When, when, when it was just so exciting, Christmas was just so exciting. But you know, part of you can't really go back to that day. And you know you can't, as an 18-year-old, go back and put on those Spider-Man pajamas. It just doesn't work. So Christmas is different when you're a teenager. And then you grow up a little bit more. And you become an adult. And maybe you get married and you have kids, right? And then Christmas is altogether different. One of, one of those adult days, you know, the lights come on and you begin to realize that Christmas is not about you. Christmas is no longer about, about what you're going to get. Christmas now as an adult is about what you're going to give. And the joy that you receive from Christmas has changed. The joy that you have at Christmas is, is not in receiving gifts, but now in going out and finding just the right gifts. And the joy is anticipating the expression on your child's face as they open that gift. So what has changed? You changed. You grew up is what happened. And the same thing happens in church. When you first get saved, coming to church is is so exciting and you just can't wait for Sunday and you can't wait to open up that gift. And you can't you can't wait to come and to receive something from God. And it's exciting. You first get, I remember those days. I could not wait to get to church. And, and it was just like every week was like this surprise and this blessing and this gift. And it was like, wow, God, you're amazing. And you're amazing again and amazing again. And the gifts keep coming. Right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? I had a family come to me the other day and they said, man, our kids just love church. I said, well, tell me about it. And they said, well, they're in up kids and they just can't wait for Sundays. And Wednesdays, they're asking, is it Sunday yet? And Thursdays, they're asking, is it Sunday yet? And they told me this story. They said a few weeks back, they woke us up at 6 a.m. in the morning. They came into our bedroom. They said, mom and dad, it's Sunday, it's Sunday. And they turned and they looked at their kids and they said, it's Saturday morning, kids. It's 6 a.m. Go back to bed. <laughs> right? So excited. And that's what it's like when we first get saved. It's all about coming and receiving. And then we begin to understand that it's not just about that. It's, it's about growing and being part of a, 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 of a family and being part of a community that's, that's growing and doing life together. And then, and then at one point in your growing up spiritual development, you go, you know what? Church is no longer about me. Church is no longer about me. It's no longer about what I can receive. Church is now about what I can give. Right? Church is still great. Christmas is still great. But what's great has changed. What's great has changed. When what, is, when what has changed is this. Greatness is found not in what I receive. Greatness is found in what I give. And Jesus put it this way. Greatness is found not in being served, but in serving. There's a story in the Bible. We're going to take a look at it. It's in Mark chapter nine, where the disciples, Jesus's disciples are arguing one day about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. Right. They're walking along. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? Well, let's see. Peter walked on water, right? Peter, James, and John were on the mountain of transfiguration. They're all arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. They're thinking Jesus is coming. And when he comes, well, he's there. But Jesus has come to bring a kingdom where they're going to rule and reign with him. And they want to know who's going to sit at his right, who's going to sit at his left. They're arguing about who's the greatest. 
And what I love about this story is Jesus doesn't condemn them. He doesn't rebuke them for wanting to be great, but he instead defines greatness. He defines it and he demonstrates it to him. And then he demands it from all those that would follow him. You see, every one of us, God has called us to be great. But we have to understand what greatness truly is. Normally we think, well, we just got to take this low, humble position. True. Why? Because that's what greatness is. So let's take a look at it. Mark chapter 9, verse 33. Are you with me this morning? All right. Mark 9, 33. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way there, they had argued about who was the greatest. And sitting down, which is what rabbis do when they get ready to say something really important, Jesus called to the twelve and he said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. They're arguing about who's the greatest. Jesus then defines greatness as the one who serves all. Next, Jesus demonstrates greatness. And I want to continue reading this story, but we're going to read it from Matthew's account. Matthew chapter 18, verse number two. Same story, just a little different perspective, a little more information. Matthew 18, two, we pick up the story. Jesus called a little child to him. Now watch, this is how he demonstrates greatness. He called a little child to him and he put the child among them. And then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, not teenagers, little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Verse number four. So anyone who wants to become or anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We have to understand here is that children in this day and age, they were looked at differently than children are looked at today. In this day and age, Jesus's day, children were the least in the household. They were in some ways, they were even kind of servants. They were seen and not heard. Okay, on the on the social status ladder, they were at the bottom of the ladder. The elders in the community, the elders in the household, they were the ones held with high esteem. The parents were the ones who were honored. The parents were the ones who were esteemed. The parents were the ones who were held up. And then Jesus comes along and he says, unless you turn from your sin and become like these little children, you will not inherit the kingdom. And unless you become like them, you will not become great in the kingdom. So today in our world, our world in our households, right? tend to revolve the children our world tends to revolve around the children around the children's schedule all their games all their activities right it's quiet in here today we move into a different neighborhood so we can get into this particular school so our kids can have the best life that they've never ever had that we never ever had but we want them to have happily ever after Right. We pick churches based off of the kids ministry. Pastor Walt's okay, but the kids ministry is great. Let's go to glad tidings. I'm glad you're here this morning. (laughs) You see, we tend to our world revolves around the kids in our homes. Right. But in this context, no, the the world revolved around the parents, the elders, the the gray hair and no hair. Thank Jesus. We need to get back to the Bible. 
And it's in this context that Jesus throws out this cultural bombshell, if you will. And he says, if you want to enter the kingdom, don't become like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Don't become like the elders. Don't become like those who've memorized the Torah. But I want you to become like a child. In fact, if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to come like a child. You have to be small and you have to admit weakness and dependence if you're going to enter the kingdom. Not only become like a child to enter, but if you want to be great in the kingdom, you have to become like a child. In other words, what he's saying is he's saying all of the adults in the household who are at the top of the social status ladder, you have to become like children at the bottom of the social status ladder. Can I tell you this morning, whether you're a parent, whether you have a PhD in front of your name, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a scientist, no matter what you are, and we have scientists in here, and I think that's really cool, whether you're a psychologist or whatever degrees you have, listen, you never graduate from the school of servanthood. You have to become like children. You have to become small. You have to become weak. And when you become that person in your own eyes, Jesus says, then you're great in the kingdom of heaven. He defined greatness as the one who serves. He demonstrated it with a child, but he also demonstrated it by pointing to his own life. I want you to see this in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. The context here is James and John had just asked Jesus, Jesus, we want you to do something for us. He says, "Okay, what do you want me to do? Tell us that we at someday will be able to sit at your right and at your left in your kingdom. We want to rule with you is what they were saying. Jesus said, I can't do that. Those places I don't assign only my father in heaven gives those assignments. But this is what he says to them in verse 25. Jesus called them together and he said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. I love this. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. For even the son of man, speaking of himself, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How many of you want to be great this morning? Huh? I want to be great. Jesus did not condemn greatness. He defined it. He demonstrated it. And he demands it from all those who would follow him. Greatness in the kingdom. And listen, here's what's amazing about Jesus. And I love this. What made Jesus great was not the fact that he was God. He is God. And how many of you know, amen? God is great. But what defined Jesus' greatness is that he left heaven. That he left the throne. That he came down to earth. And he came down not to rule like a, like a king over and conquer all of his enemies in the way we think. But he came to serve everyone and save everyone. How? By giving his life as a ransom for many. Now tell me, what other God has done that? There is no God like our God. What other king would do this? What other king would take his, his crown of glory and set it down and pick up a crown of thorns? Tell me. Tell me what other God, tell me what other king would do that. That's what made Jesus great. 
He left his robes of, of royalty in heaven and he put on the, the robes of a, of a common man and he, and he took up the towel of a servant and he, he washed his servant's feet. The king washed the servant's feet. What other king would do that? What other king would lay down his life for his people like Jesus did? That's what I love about Jesus. And that's what made Jesus great. Scripture's clear. He gave his life as a ransom for many. Some of you are here this morning. And you need some ransom. <laughs> You're here this morning and your life is separated from the life of God because of your sin. And I've got good news for you this morning. Jesus came to pay your ransom. What does that mean for us this morning? A ransom is simply a payment necessary to set you free from your captors, which you have no ability to pay. The Bible is very clear to all of us this morning that we owe God a debt of righteousness, of right living that we are unable to pay. And if we can't pay the debt of righteousness, then there is what the Bible calls the wages of sin or the penalty of sin, which is death. And when Jesus came, when Jesus gave his life as a ransom or as a payment for us, what he did this, this is what he did. He paid the debt of righteousness with his own righteousness, and he paid the penalty for sin with his own death. And that's how Jesus today is our ransom, our ransom for many. Now, that's great news. But I'll tell you this morning, it's only great news if you believe it's true. It's only great news if you stop trusting in your own ability to pay that ransom and you start trusting Jesus' ability to pay that ransom. Only he can pay that debt of righteousness that we owe God. And only Jesus, right, can pay that penalty of sin, which is death with his own death. And so this morning, and you have the opportunity today to go from death to life by believing that Jesus paid your ransom. I love that. Bow your heads with me really quick. I want to ask this question. If that spoke to you this morning, say, Pastor, I'm not right with God. I need to be right with God. I want to believe. I want to receive Jesus today as my Lord and Savior. Raise your hand right where you're at. Right where you're at. Raise your hand right where you're at. Anybody this morning? God bless you. See that hand there. Anybody else this morning? Up in the balcony. Thank you. I want you just between you and God in heaven this morning, just take a moment and say, God, I trust you to pay the ransom. I can't pay the righteousness. I don't have it. God, I trust you to pay it for me. And I receive you by faith in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That was you this morning, a simple, quick prayer. But how many of you know it's faith that saves? It's not long prayers, short prayers. It's faith that saves. You just put your trust, your confidence in God to save you, not yourself. That means you are born again this morning. You're a new believer in Jesus Christ. Can we put our hands together for those who just, who just prayed that? Amen. Well, let's just jump back. Where were we? It was good, wasn't it? Wherever we were. Oh, all right. So why does God save us? Why does he ransom us? He saves us so we can serve. We are saved to serve. 
We are saved to serve. And Jesus demonstrated it. And then he demanded it from his followers to do the same. And what's amazing is that after Jesus demonstrated it with children, he also demonstrated it by by washing the disciples feet. And after he washed their feet, he told them this. He said, I want you to go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Jesus said a servant is not above his teacher. A servant is not above his master. So if Jesus, our master, washed feet, if Jesus, our master, gave his life as a ransom, if Jesus, our master, served everyone he came in contact with, then that's what we do as well. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter two, verse five. He said this, your attitude about this whole serving thing should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who considered equality with God, not something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Jesus, imagine this, being in very nature God, became in nature a servant in the same way. And Jesus said, and go and do likewise. Greatness is found in serving, not in being served. We have been saved to serve. I want you to look with me at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Ephesians 2 verse 10. I love this passage because it just it just so succinctly communicates how we've been saved to serve. It says this, for we are God's workmanship. That means God has crafted us. He's he's worked. He's built this beautiful sculpture, this workmanship. He's created in Christ Jesus, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. How many of you knew how many of you knew that we were created by God to do some good works? We were created. We don't get saved by works. Right. It's faith alone that saves, but faith that saves is never alone. It's always followed by works. So God creates us to do good works. And at Glad Tidings, we do these works through serving on a ministry team. I want you to understand something really important about ministry. And we talk to our staff about this a lot. Ministry is not what I can do for God, but what God can do through me. Ministry is not what I do for God, but what God does through me. You have to understand, we are not manufacturers of grace. We are not manufacturers of power. We are distributors of grace. We are distributors of power. I want you to see this with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. Paul said this, he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. We read it last week. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, I've got this grace that's working in me. I've got this power that's working in me. And the way I work and how I get it done on the earth is, is God doing it through me. Somebody says, Pastor, are you ready to start preaching three services? I said, yes, I am, because the same grace and power that helps me preach two is the same grace and power that helps me preach three. 
It's the same thing. And listen, when you minister out of overflow from God, how many of you know you never run out? The well never runs dry and you never burn out for Jesus. Because we understand that it's coming from within. We understand that it's coming from Him. When that grace of God is at work in your life and His power is at work in your life, listen, you can run ahead of chariots. You can outrun chariots, right? You can defeat giants. When God is with you, who can be against you? And greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. Listen, you've got something in you that's happening, that's dying to come out of you this morning. We are distributors, not manufacturers. When the disciples fed the multitudes, they didn't multiply the fish and loaves. They didn't manufacture all that food. They just simply distributed it. And what I love about that story is they simply took the little bit that they had and God made it fresh and God made it multiply and God made it satisfy. And all they had to do was give that little bit that they had. They just distributed what they had. When Peter and John came to the gate, beautiful, and the, lame, the man laid there lame from birth. And they said, silver or gold we do not have. See, it's important to know what you don't have. But it's also important to know what you do have because you're a distributor. But we give you what we have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise and walk. In other words, we've got grace. We've got power. We ain't got no money, but here's the grace and power. Get up and walk. You got to understand that what God has given to you. God's given something to every one of you. Every one of you have gifts and you have powers and you have greatness residing within you. God's given you abilities that you are great at and you need to use it for greatness. You need to use it for serving. Some of you are so brilliant at things. And I'm saying, how about use it for the father's business? How about use it in the kingdom of God? I'm thankful that it enables you to to provide for your family. Thank God for that gift that enables you to provide for your family. But how can you use that gift, that knowledge to build the kingdom? My prayer is that here at Glad Tidings, you'll find opportunities for that. As you know, we're starting a third Sunday morning service beginning Easter Sunday, March 27th. Here it comes, ready or not. Here are the times, those three services. Can I tell you, I am so excited about, I dream about the three services. I think about it all the time. I pray about it all the time. I'm excited. Why? Because we've got a city to reach for Jesus. Listen, if that means I have to get up an hour earlier on Sunday morning to reach our city for Jesus, I'll get up two hours earlier. I don't care. I want to reach the city for Jesus. And right now we're pretty full. We can't do it in two services. So we're adding that third service. And the main reason we're, we're, we're adding an earlier service like that is so that... Um, So that we can free up some space in our two later services. Because here's what we've discovered. Most people who are not saved, who are not church, probably won't come to an 8 a.m. service. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But we do know this. They'll probably come to the later two services. So let's move as many people into that 8 a.m. service as possible. Now, all of you are used to coming at 11. So jumping from 11 to 8 a.m., you really have to love Jesus to do that and love people. Hey, we're going to have a ministry team lounge. Did did you know? If you're a volunteer, glad that you'll be able to go there. There'll be food, real food, not just coffee, coffee, food, all kinds of stuff. As you're serving here, we want to make sure that you are refreshed and ready to go. And so that's awesome. We love that. So here's what we're doing. We're asking everybody to make a commitment. And here's the commitment we're asking. 
We're asking everyone to sit and everyone to serve. Sit at a service, serve at a service. Okay. For some of you, you're already doing that. Thank you. For those of you who are not serving and all you're doing is sitting, we're glad you're sitting. But there's a time to sit and there's a time to serve. And the story of Mary and Martha in the Bible really points that out really well, doesn't it? Shared that a few weeks ago. Quick recap on that story. Jesus came to the home of Mary and Martha and Mary sat there at Jesus' feet listening to what he said. Listening. And that's the one we preach a lot. And then over here, Martha's in the kitchen, clanging and banging dishes, getting dinner ready. Jesus, tell her to help me. Jesus says, what Mary has chosen will not be taken from her. And he said these words, she has chosen what is better. She has chosen what is better. Better meaning priority. First, you sit and listen to Jesus. Okay? You sit and listen to Jesus' words. You sit and you receive. That takes priority. Then there's a time to serve and be a Mary or a Martha, excuse me. So we're asking everybody to do both. First, sit. And I can see you're all sitting this morning. Okay? The next thing is to get up at some point and begin to serve. And if you're not serving, it's time to serve. This teaches us there's a time for sitting and a time for serving. And our goal is that everybody in the house would start serving. Everybody in the house would start serving. That's what it's going to take to reach our city. That's what it's going to take to do three services effectively. So, pastor, you might say, I'm already, I'm already sitting in a service and I'm already serving in another service. Or pastor, I'm already sitting in a service and I'm serving during the week. Do I have to serve again? And my point would be this. Well, Jesus told a story about a man who who asked somebody to go with him one mile. And what did Jesus say? If he asked you to go one mile, go go the second mile, go two miles. So I'm asking you, go the extra mile with me. If you're already serving, thank you. Thank you so much. Consider serving again out of overflow of what God is doing in your life. If you're not serving at all, man, we've got a place for you. <laughs> we have got a place for you. Uh, now, we've got a video we put together to help you discovering exactly the right place for you to serve. So let's watch this video. So the other day, Nicholas came up to me and told me they were a little short-staffed in some of the ministries and asked if I'd be willing to help out. So I said, yeah, sure. I'd be willing to do that. No problem. And so this week, I'm, I'm helping out in the nursery. It should be fun. It should be fun. Ah. Oh, what's that smell? It's the baby. Oh. Hey, get back here! Oh no! Excuse me. Yeah, this isn't our kid. Are you sure? So this week was great. I don't think I'm really called to the nursery. I just want you to know that uh, no children were harmed in the filming of that video. I think this video is a great reminder that everybody has a primary ministry and a secondary ministry. And seriously, your primary ministry is the area in which you are gifted. Your secondary ministry is the area in where you're needed. Everybody wants to serve where they're gifted. 
Well, I, you know, there's no teaching opportunities. I guess there's no place for me to serve. Not true. You can learn how to appropriately hold a child. (laughs) We'll teach you. Josh, see me after class. We'll teach you. Okay. So there are plenty of areas probably where you can serve in your gifting. That's your primary ministry. And some of you are already serving in that area. But maybe there's an area now where there's a need. And you're like, well, that's not really my gift. But I can do that and nobody will get hurt. So you can do that. In your bulletin, pull your bulletin out if you will. There is a ministry um, team card. And this is where... This is where it gets really, really practical. Um, yeah, look at, let's look at the card here. Two sides. My son came up to me after the first service. He said, Dad, make sure you say this in the second service. I said, say what? He said, tell people that as they grow up in the Lord, things get more and more practical. Life gets really practical. I thought, okay. There you have it. Quote Levi DeVries. All right. Team link. One side, personal information. Um, fill that part out. Backside is the areas in which you can serve to be on a ministry team. When you might say, well, pastor, I'm already serving on a ministry team. Thank you. Thank you. But pastor, I'm ready to serve on another ministry team as needed or as gifted. Exactly. So you're going to check off the box of the ministry you're interested in. If you're interested in being part of the helps ministry, uh, let's say it's the parking lots getting warm. Yeah, that must be God. So you can check off that box. And, and maybe there's a couple you're interested in. Wonderful, wonderful. Fill that out. So this is what the response time is going to look like today, okay? Uh, when we dismiss from the service, this is what you're going to do. You're going to take this card, and you're going to go directly to Team Link, all right? Rooms 201, 202, and 203, just outside the lobby, okay? Do not get your children. As you can see, they're taken care of. So... Uh, Actually, we are planning on on caring for your children longer this morning than usual. So you don't have to pick up your kid first. You can go directly to Team Link. Take this card with you. When you walk in, you'll hand this card to a trained volunteer. They will look at the card and go, ah, you want to be part of parking. They'll point you to the table where you can find the information, the opportunities there, ministry team application if you haven't filled one out. Wonderful. Doesn't that sound easy? Very practical, very spiritual. All right. What you're looking at on the screen here is this is what it takes for us to run an 8 a.m. service. We're looking for a total. If you add all those up, a total of 182 volunteers for an 8 a.m. service to happen. Forty nine kids, volunteers, seven production volunteers, 30 ushers, seven greeters, four on our welcome team, 11 security on and on and on. It goes ministry team lounge. That's my favorite because there's food there. We need three volunteers there. Okay, so you can see it takes a a lot of people to reach the city. It takes a lot of people to launch that third service. Now, those 182 volunteers, that's just the first service. We have opportunities at 9 a.m. If you're like, man, 9 a.m. is good for me or or 930, the new service, 930 or 1115. We have opportunities there, but we have opportunities all throughout the week for you to get involved and serve. This is just an idea of what's happening at eight o'clock Sunday morning. I can tell the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now about that one, right? 8 a.m. I'm not getting a lot of amens from you this morning on that. (laughs) So maybe for you, 930 service is where you sit. 1115 is where you serve or flip it 
Or maybe you're like, I can only attend a service because I just came from work. I work all night long and I come to church Sunday morning and all I can do is sit. And I'm like, thank you for being here. But pastor, I can serve on a Wednesday night. Pastor, I could lead a small group. God's talking to me about that. There's a spot for you to sign up on here. Everybody. Opportunities for everybody. And let me tell you this morning. You're not too young to serve. Jesus was 12 years old when he told his parents, I must be about my father's business. And how many of you know he wasn't talking about Joseph in his carpentry shop? I must be about my father's business. What Jesus was saying, let the other kids sleep in. Let the other kids play video games. Let the other ones manage their social media. I've got a world to change and it's serious business. So, man, you might be a teenager. You've got all my kids. They're all serving. They're here all Sunday morning. They sit in a service and they serve. They're already doing it. And some this is awesome. And then we're going to close. Some people are, are serving in all three services. Our worship team is saying, hey, we'll be there at eight. We'll be there at nine thirty. We'll be there at eleven fifteen. We're all in, pastor. We're going to go the extra extra mile with you. And how many of you know, those people are the greatest in the kingdom because greatness is found in not being served, but in actually serving and giving your life away. I want you to stand with me and we're going to pray this morning. Lord, we just thank you for today and this opportunity to uh, to live out what you have put in us. God, I thank you for the grace and the power inside of us that works so powerfully in us. We ask now, God, that it works so powerfully outside of us. God, I thank you that as we grow up, church is no longer about us. It's about them. It's about those who have not experienced you. God, I pray for every person here this morning that that over the course of today and the next three weeks that they would find their place of ministry here at Glad Tidings. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Now, before I dismiss you, real practical, take your card, fill it out, go directly to the uh, team link. You're going to find your place to serve there. Your kids will be cared for in a proper manner, and they'll be waiting for you when you're done. Can you say amen? And by the way, there's refreshments over there too. Must be God. Amen. God bless you this morning. If you need prayer, our prayer workers will be available in just a few minutes to pray with you. God bless you today.